What's up, everybody? Michael Johnson here with the Business Choreography Podcast. I'm excited you joined me today because we have somebody from the other side of the world joining us today. He is super cool, and you're going to want to learn about everything he has to share with you. So let's cue the intro. After I tell you a little bit about him, John, or sorry, John, Sinjin Craner. He's our guest, and he's an author. He's a sales coach. He's a speaker. He owns a rural marketing and agriculture. Wow. That was rough. Agricultural business agency. Guys, you're going to want to see this. You're going to want to learn everything you can from him. Let's cue the intro and we'll jump right in. Listen, there's a lot to learn when growing and scaling your business. That's why we created the Business Choreography Podcast, where we talk about choreographing your marketing, operations, and sales into dynamic systems that increase your revenue and your impact. We'll explore solid business principles and discuss all things that make businesses dance to success with clarity. We'll help you figure out where the holes are in your business and what you can do to fix them. Think of us as your official business choreographers, aka your insider growth strategists. Remember, your choreography matters. Welcome to the Business Choreography Podcast. Sinjin, thank you so much for joining us. It is a pleasure to have you here today. Yeah, Michael, great to be here. I am so excited. You know, you are ahead of us. I think it's tomorrow already. Yeah, so yeah. I hope the future's good. Yeah, future's good. I mean, I'm closer to the weekend, so it's great. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, we're going to dig in here and jump into some of the great uh, things that have made up your story and your journey. So I'd love to start with the backstory and talk a little bit about how you got to this point where now you're doing all these incredible things in, in your agency. So let's start from the beginning because I know it's a winding road. Sure. Um, so I come off farm in UK. So uh, I've got this very strange, weird name where I've been branded since birth. Um, and it gets a lot of people sort of uh, trips a few people up. And uh, yes, I've come from an agricultural farming background. And I've always been fascinated since I was a little boy in why people do what they do. So I've always been interested in behavior. And I didn't really know what the label was or the construct or the domain or the discipline. And my father um, was an avid rugby uh, nut in UK. And he used to take us to Twickenham, which is the home of English rugby. And we, we didn't have much money then as poor farmers and dad was a grain and seed merchant um, for a local company in Dalgetty. And he used to take his truck drivers to what we call the Vasty match, which is the Oxford-Cambridge um, match, which is the cheaper, it's the cheaper seats, cheaper, cheaper gig. And he used to take his truck driver and I used to see all these signs and these hoardings around the ground. And I'd go, why, why are they advertising? Like, how does this make me buy a Casio or Whitbread or a Tetley? And I'm showing my age here with these brands. And, <laughs> Like this is a long time ago. And I sort of that started my journey then about that fascination and curiosity around why people buy. And and I was very fortunate to blag my way, being an English term, blag my way into university. And I was very fortunate to beat about 50 people to my one place, the UK's only advertising marketing media degree course of its kind. The UK government put a ton of money into this particular university, Red Brick University, which is below Oxford, Cambridge. Anyway, to keep a long story short, uh, did that and then uh, got picked up by the IPA Clearing Rounds, which is the Institute of Practitioners of Advertising. Picked up in and I went through McCann Erickson, Low Howard Spink, uh, Young and Rubicon and learned a lot and then did some stuff client side because I think, you know, when you're a suit in an agency working client side, you actually don't have any exposure how the mechanisms of corporate and clients work 
till you go over to that side. So I've been a marketing manager in corporates and utilities, banking, finance, and um, and then uh, worked for uh, a small agency up here in New Zealand that specialised in ag, and I was very grateful for them. Learned a lot there. And kind of rediscovered my passion for farming and ag and coming full circle, basically, back to my roots. And uh, and then, yeah, started my own business uh, ooh, six years ago now, um, but been doing ag for over a decade. And so, yeah, love, love the sector, and it's a great niche. Wow. What is it that you love so much about that sector? I mean, that's a pretty unique thing to be mm, in the mm. space of, but, like, what is it about it that, that draws you? Yeah, uh, it's really simple. It's kind of the people. It sounds cliched, but like, I think agriculture and farming is an honest trade. Like it's very tangible. You grow something, whether it's an animal or a crop and the people have a sort of healthy honesty around them because they, everything comes from the land. It's a certain type of person. And, uh, the communities are very tight. Uh, they have very sort of old school, kind of um rules and conditioning and 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 just just good human beings uh and i think that's very important you get older that you know it's important to connecting with the right human beings good good human beings so they're good stoic honest wholesome guys uh guys and girls they like drinking beer they like playing rugby all the things that i like doing as well and growing things and looking at cattle and growing crops and pushing and agronomy and feed and fur and genetics so it's a fascinating area and it's always been sort of um, labeled as a sunset industry, but it's actually a sunrise industry because when we're in COVID not so long ago, what's the first thing we all were worried about? It's like, where is our food coming from, our food production, our food safety and security? So we're very lucky that our farmers are growing these beautiful crops and animals that we can enjoy. And so I support teams that sell to those farmers. So yeah, you know, my, my tribe is is a farming tribe, and uh, I've always – it's really ironic. I've done the big corporate gigs. I've done the big agencies. I've been very fortunate in those careers, and I've come full circle back to where I grew up and where I came from. That's lovely. Tell me a little bit about – you mentioned earlier sunset and sunrise. Talk to me about those terms and, and how they apply to the industry that you're working in and, and what they mean really because I know some of our audience might not be in that space. Sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. Happy to help. Um, so what it means is the sunset industry is usually one that's on decline. And uh, it might mean it's not very sexy. Um, and, you know, when you talk about farming, whether it's you up in the US and Utah or the States or the wheat belts or the rust belts and us down in Australia and New Zealand here, everyone goes, oh, sort of hayseed, a farmer, a bit dumb, chewing on curd, leaning on a fence, you know, <laughs> uh, dungarees, denim, rusty old truck. Here's the thing. Most of those guys and girls can buy you and I 10 times over. They are extremely humble and have a lot of humility and they just are hardworking, honest individuals. And so I gravitate to that kind of human being and that kind of trade. There's no slick Rick. There's no sort of corporate sleazy, you know, that sort of uncomfortable yuckiness, awkwardness that you perhaps get with corporates. They are the real deal. And, uh, yeah, agriculture, as I say, it's not so much it, – farming is so last century, it's actually kind of like agribusiness now and agri-tech. <laughs> and you think about precision ag and you think about these John Deere tractors and these semi-automated weeding robots and spraying and, like, there's so much that's going on in agriculture because we've got such a challenge to grow more food 
off less land with an increasing world population. So, you know, I think we're going to have to increase our food production by something like 300% in the next 30 to 40 years to oh, wow. match the world population going from six to nine billion. So technology is going to play a big role in there. So I think the people don't understand the agriculture, farming, rural scene. Um, it's really important to understand food production and food chains and value chains and where things are coming from. So, yeah, there's a lot, again, we were reminded of the relevance of ag and rural and food in COVID. So it's probably one of our most important things because without it, we, we don't survive. Right. Absolutely. Tell me a little bit more about running an agency to that group of people. I mean, it's a, it's, there's a lot of things that we talk about in agencies and marketing and, and what we would normally and typically do. How different is it running to that specific niche i mean it's a very specific niche <laughs> where well, it is it is and it's really funny sometimes you know people don't know how to position you but i mean niches and riches and, and cliches aside is you've got to play to your strengths or your career capital so the fact that i've come from a farming environment and my father was a grain and seed merchant and a director of dalgetty i've always been surrounded by farming the agency scene it's really interesting michael the agency model to me is an interesting one that big a word and i'm not going to go down a rabbit warren but i've heard a <laughs> kind of say that we are a training company so what we're doing is we are enabling and transferring skills to rural marketing managers and rural sales managers to extract the maximum performance and return that they can from their teams so we help underperforming rural marketing teams and underperforming rural sales teams and it often starts with a manager or we might have a discussion with the business owner themselves and going hey look you know we're looking at your marketing. You're not getting much for it. There's a lot of there's a lot of vanity metrics in there, not much sanity. And we talk very much about attributable, accountable lead generation. So, you know, marketing is a bit of a dark art, as you know. And, you know, right now where we are at time of recording, times are tough. Marketing, if it's not working, it's going to get a line drawn through it. You know, right. they can't deliver it. So the agency model for me, we don't really like to call ourselves so much an agency. We are a sales and marketing training companies specifically for the rural sector so um there's a lot right about the agency model but i also think there's a lot wrong and i think a the other a word i'm more interested in is accountability and attribution and that is something that sometimes some agencies and we don't have time to talk about that but like sometimes i think agencies are more concerned about um creating outputs rather than outcomes and this is why you don't see marketers around <clears throat> the executive table, the C-suite, because they don't actually deliver commercial value and they don't understand the commercial value and language of business. There's my little rant. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Talk to me more about the training that you provide to these teams and, and what's that all about? What do you focus on in working with these teams to be able to do their job better? Yeah. So I think if I conveniently or cutely try to straddle both marketing and sales as, as disciplines because I think they're codependent and they're sure. integrated. You can't have one without the other. And I, I'm going to say something very contrary in here, which I'm known for is, um, <laughs> and hopefully I back it up with rationale rather than a rant, is that I think marketing is a function of sales. So marketing's job is their internal customer is the sales team. But equally, the sales team need to feed the marketing team back with the frontline insights to make those marketing messages connect as Robert Collier says, you need to connect with the conversation that's happening in your customer's head. And so on that, what we do on the training side is we very much focus on uh, psychology 
And as I say, in the intro, I was talking about why I'm so interested. I've always been interested in human behavior and behavioral economics and all these bunch of books behind me, which is not some sort of fake um, fake backdrop. But I read furiously and, and relentlessly because I love learning and always have. And I've always found myself in flow or it didn't feel like work reading around why people behave, human decision-making, um, behavioral economics, psychology. And I think um, we know whether we're listening to Rory Sullivan or really good thought leaders like that. And I don't know if anyone knows who Rory Sullivan is, but he's head of Ogilvy and he's really into his social science and psychology. And I think it's been very obvious that if you want to be a really good marketer or you want to be a really, really good salesperson, you need to understand the laws of human nature and human behavior and why people do what they do and how they buy, how they process. And so we teach sales teams predominantly, but also marketing teams, because it straddles both, is psychology, like the buyer's brain and, you know, why they do what they do and what they're looking for, human biases, human heuristics. And yeah, like this one and done on the sales side, this one and done can cookie cutter in and out kind of McDonald's drive through training. It just hurts and harms teams because they don't actually learn anything because they set and forget. They return to their rituals and it's a complete waste of time because they forget what they've learned. So, yeah, the psychology thing is really, really important. The first important thing we teach sales teams in the rural sector, but this is for any sector for your audience, is you really, really need to understand your customers and understand how they tick and understand understand how they are psychologically made up. How do they make their decisions? What process do they go through to make decisions? Who do they use? Who are they influenced by? And if you can even just have an understanding of the basic mental models or framework, you know, the lattice framework that Charlie Munger talks about, you can understand human behavior a lot better and you've got a much better chance of influencing and infiltrating that behavior whether it's in the marketing domain or the sales domain. I love that. You, you mentioned so many great things there and, and I'm going to try to dig through them one at a mm. time because I know our audience is going to want to hear more about it. But one of them was human decision-making and I'd like to dig in a little bit. Do you have a, a framework or something that you, you can share with us about this concept? I, I, I believe it is so important and yet I don't know that a lot of people talk about it or dig into it. And so uh, I'd love to hear more about your your perspective on that and human decision-making. Sure. I can start at some really basic terms. Probably the most important thing on the sales side, if you're selling to anyone, the first thing I teach in our training is to everyone, stop selling. <laughs> <laughs> like start serving and stop selling. Now, the reason why is when you're selling, I would say the problem with sales is selling. Because what happens is when you're selling hard and you walk into Best Buys, wherever you happen to be in the world, and they go, can I help you? You freeze. And it's a fight, flight, freeze response. It's a adrenal amygdala response, the back of your brain response, your first brain. And that all comes from this whole concept of reactance theory. So if you're very blessed to have children like me this morning trying to get into school holiday program this morning to rush to get to here, I'm trying to get them to give their lunch boxes. I'm trying to get them to make their beds, fill up their water bottles, and everything else. They don't like being told what to do. They like to have choice and agency or an autonomy over their behavior. This is the same for adults. So what happens is when our respective governments said to us, don't panic buy during COVID, what did we all do? We went and panic buyed because no one's going to tell us what to do, right? And in the States, you have all those freedom, all the constitutions, which we love about you guys. 
But even down here, down under in Australia Zoom, there was a real reaction, and we call it reactance theory. So what it is, when people don't feel in control of their of their own agency and autonomy, this is particularly, particularly big for farmers because there's so much they can't control in terms of pest and weather and climate and schedules and pricing and trade wars and currency. But when you are trying to, you don't feel like you're in control, you feel unsafe. And so you will do anything as a human condition to take control. Now, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, most of your listeners will know that. One of the most important ones in the first rung at the bottom, the foundational level one is, is safety. So what we do is we make sure when we are selling, we are serving. And when we serve, we signal via safety. This is a very, very important point for your listeners. You must signal via safety by them understanding that you are truly, sincerely serving their needs and best interests rather than the best interests of yourself. And this is where the majority of salespeople get it wrong. They're so busy trying to serve their own needs, they forget that they need to serve the needs of their buyer. And that will take five to eight, you know, 80% of sales is made in the eight to 12 interactions. The, the data, the science shows us that, the research shows us that. But we are so consumed and obsessed with serving our own needs first. We're so desperate to sell, but instead we need to be serving. I mean, Michael, you did this wonderful podcast. I have my own podcast. We put out a lot of resources. We know a lot of people we've spoken about before coming on air in our community over the world. And they are givers before they get. So, you know, the law of reciprocation, and you guys know this, but if I could impress upon your listeners, you must serve, not sell. The problem with sales is selling. And when you serve rather than sell, you signal all important buyer safety. And that is when the buyer is going to be more receptive and more responsive to your message and your approach. I love it. That is incredible. Guys, I usually say this at the end, but for the love, pause and go back and listen to that again. <laughs> but you got to hear that. You got to get it into your into your mind. I want to dig in a little bit to uh, something just slightly off of where we were headed. But you know, we we talked about it earlier. The riches in, are in the niches, and I think a lot of people misunderstand niches and yeah. the different directions and ways that you can take doing that. But you have. You have successfully done this. You have really niched into something you love and yeah. the people that you can help. I want to know a little bit about that moment before doing that. You know, obviously coming from a background of advertising and sales and, and the corporate side of things, there's, uh, you know, in talking to a lot of business owners, there's a lot of fear uh, in niching yeah. down so <laughs> incredibly tight that yeah. they fear that there's not going to be enough money there. There's not going to be yeah. enough there to support them. So can we talk about that moment and, and transferring mm. it to that, mm. type, that specific mm. honed in niche? So glad you asked. And, and if anyone's listening on that journey, this is the metaphor. I talk in metaphors a lot just because maybe my mind's too simple, but basically <laughs> when I was in corporate and agency world, I was on a really whopping big salary. Like I was good at what I did and I was paid and I was very fortunate to be paid what I felt I was worth and the value that I contributed. And it was like a skyscraper, not, not a big skyscraper, but just a very, very tall building. And then when I decided to go on my own and go to that niche, and obviously I've worked for an agency that specialized in rural and they do that, they do a really good job. Um, and I'd learned my trade there and then realized that I wasn't learning anymore. So I needed to go and do it myself and learn and, and move more into the sales and the psychology and the, 
attribution accountability of lead generation, it was like jumping from a, I said to my wife, I said, uh, let prepare for me to make no money for about the next six to 12 months. And it's, and, and bless her, she backed me a hundred percent because she believed in me and ironically believed in me more than I believed in myself. And equally, some of my friends as well said, you've got to do this. But I was the one taking the leap. Now, what it is, is the metaphor, if I, so I'm not losing anyone here, is I've got a big, tall building, and it might be six, seven, eight stories high. I'm jumping down to a bungalow, which is one level, and I'm going from here straight down to there. And it was a hell of a leap. I would say I froze on it, and I probably didn't make the decision. I could have made the decision 18 months earlier. But it was that fear that paralyzed me from taking the jump. Now, here's the really important thing. Whichever niche you're going into, there is massive, massive reward. You must, must, must take the leap. And I'm give you another metaphor as well, if it makes sense, Michael. And stop me if this isn't. Do you want to be the general practitioner, the GP, or do you want to be the specialist, the cardiologist? I would much rather be a cardiologist than a GP because a cardiologist or an oncologist or a pediatrician have as a specialist a queue of people. They go around the world, they talk, they citate, you know, the good ones. They are a prize to be won. And we much prefer dealing with specialists rather than generalists. The problem is specificity spits cash. <laughs> it's a really important message. Specificity spits cash because as a specialist, a cardiologist will earn seven to eight times more than the average high street GP or doctor. Now, doctors are generalists because they're called a general practitioner. So they need to know everything about everything, whereas a specialist is highly known. Now, again, you've got to then understand your total addressable market. Mm -hmm. Now, in my world, in agriculture and agribusiness, I could probably specialize in veterinarian if I wanted to, or I could specialize in dairy or beef or beef genetics. I could actually ultra niche. I could niche within a niche. But I still sort of keep at the moment, and, and it's interesting, the patterns of your client portfolio give you that kind of data and that feedback. But what I'm saying is you must take the leap and you must work from a place of strength or what um, Cal Newport calls in his book, So Good They Can't Ignore You, he calls it Career Capital, which is a brilliant book. And he said, you've got to go, you've got to work on what your strengths are. So obviously I knew farming, I knew agriculture, I'd come from that background I understood farming systems. I'd grown around. I know how to talk to farmers. I can facilitate a farming panel. I can talk to and do farmer phone interviews, and they understand I know what they know. But your niche is something you need to know, preferably somewhere where you've come from, and you've got that all-important career capital. Do not suddenly become a, you know, they're, they're very far and few between these success stories. Don't become like a Wall Street banker and then become a yoga instructor or, you know, you know English-speaking teacher, whatever. It's, it's too much of a stretch. So make that leap, and then here's the reward, is a specialist gets paid a ton more than a generalist. And a specialist has people queuing up for them. They're in demand. They're revered. They're respected. And here's the kicker. Here's the really good thing about being in a niche for anyone that's listening and worrying about where they might be now in that general space is when you're a specialist, you almost have a magnetism to you. If you're doing your job right and you're doing your publishing and you're promoting and you're pricing and all those good things that good good specialists do you will attract the type of client that you want now this isn't about law of attraction and the secret of success and everything else is your clients come to you pre 
conditioned and pre-qualified because they recognize that you're a specialist and you can charge a lot more, a premium, because if you go and see your local GP, they're going to charge you, I don't know, 40, 50 bucks for a consult for 15 minutes. And they're going to be guessing most of the time and using process of elimination. And you, but then what happens? They refer you to a specialist. So if you've got a comp, you know, complicated problems are expensive problems. And that's why we go to a specialist. That's why we get referred to a specialist. So don't be a generalist, be a specialist. The reward for that leap, that jump of faith, do your homework, of course, do your diligence, work on something you're strong at, have a good total addressable market, look at what others are doing in that area. If there are lots of people in that space, that is a good thing. That is not a bad thing. That's a really good thing because it means that there is a market out there and you've just got to work out how you're going to be different. So, sorry, very long answer to a really, really good question. Take the leap. The reward is worth it because specialists get paid more than generalists and specialists will have a queue of clients that want to work with them because they recognize that they have expensive problems that need being solving by specialist people that specialize in that area. I love it. I want to segue from that into something you said earlier as well. And that was understanding your customers and how they tick because you just talked a little bit about that niche, but let's talk a little bit about how you, do that research? How do you discover that? I mean, is it, is it purely just because you know them and because it's a space you've been in, or can you find that out if you haven't been in that space, but you really know the subject? Yeah. I get really good questions, Michael. Um, so you're, you're, you're definitely, uh, squeezing the value out of me today. Um, (laughs) so I'm up for that. So what it is, is it's back to my earlier point. Um, a specialist recognizes patterns. We're a pattern recognition machine. So what happens, we've, ex- we've exposed a compound effect over years and tenure and experience, lots and lots of conversations. So I've had lots and lots of conversations with rural marketing managers and rural uh, marketing teams. And I've also had lots of conversations with rural sales teams and rural sales managers and rural business owners. So I know the patterns and I can recognize the patterns. So it means that we have this bevy, this wonderful thing called the internet as well. There are so many tools and software out there right now where you can socially listen. So you might read the one star and five star reviews on Amazon books. You might listen to the forums, the online groups, the questions that they're asking Google um, answer. I think it's ask the public. That's a great tool as well. Buzz sumo. There's so many tools out there that you can look at and go, what, is the question that these people are asking. What are the problems that they're trying to solve? Because behind that question, even just just a Google search alone and the articles and what they're writing, the forums and the comments and the reviews, you know, for instance, I'm I'm really sad. Like I'm, I'm on Facebook and I'm part of this group, this tractor group, and they've got like a particular type of tractor and like the specificity which they're going into and what this tractor does, like, that's where the gold is. So you're really, really understanding their world. You're really, really living in a mercy yourself in the shoes. So you can do that two ways. You can do that obviously uh, digitally, but you can also do that physically through the conversations. Now, the other kicker here is the more you have the conversations based on a part of your career that you enjoyed, you get these patterns, these same thematics coming through. So every time you're having a conversation or a sales conversation, or you're at a network event, or a conference, or a chamber event, or just doing your Google research and doing really good due diligence on that market, and really listening in, and eavesdropping almost, to what they're saying, is you spot patterns. And the patterns are, ah, 
my team aren't using the CRM system. Uh, our sales meetings suck. Um, I'm getting surprises every end of month. Uh, my top performers are holding me to ransom and they're milking me and I don't know what to do. Uh, my low performers are disproportionate and are dragging a massive ton of effort and energy and I'm neglecting my middle. So we see all these patterns, all these patterns, uh, particularly on the sales side. So I don't know if I've even answered your question, but the reality is there's a ton of tools out there that you can use, even just the basic stuff, and do your homework, do the deep dive, take the time to understand the questions that are asking. Behind the questions is the intent. That's the really important part. What is the problem that they're trying to solve? And then your spot patterns. And after a while, you stop. You do this on a dirty old Excel sheet. You say, what are the problems my market is trying to solve? And then you get into the specificity, and then you can create blogs and articles and podcasts that talk to that. I'm sorry, it. that's probably enough for now. <laughs> I love it. I love it. This is amazing. We could literally, I think, jam on this uh, for hours. And guys, all of you out there listening, you have to go back and listen to this again. And you have to take some notes. I, I If you're watching on video, you've seen me sitting over here furiously taking notes because each time you hear this and, and the worst thing you could say, if you're out there listening, I know who you are. You're out there listening. Worst thing you could say is I know that already. And I'm thinking, gosh, this is great. I love the way that you put so many of these things and brought them out in a way that we can hear them again. And if you've heard them for the first time, oh my gosh, then I hope you're taking notes. If you're hearing them for the second time, I hope that you're spending the time to listen and understand how you can apply this currently to what you're doing. Um, I, I want to, I want to ask for those of our listeners that are thinking, gosh, I need more of Sinjin. How do I get this? How do I get some more? What, how can they, uh, you know, find you? How can they connect with you? How can they get in and, and continue to learn some more from you? What I'll do before I sort of drum roll and 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 horribly pitch myself, which I'm not going to do because I've said the problem with sales is selling, right? So I'm going to serve problem sell. I'm going to give you one more serve, if that's okay, in a good way for your listeners. Absolutely. Um, the gem I want them to take away is that if you have pricing problems or attraction problems with clients, it's because you have positioning problems. The two are correlated. If you have pricing problems or pipeline problems, i.e. you can't find enough clients, and the clients you do find are beating you up on price, it's because you've got positioning problems. I cannot emphasize the importance enough of being a specialist, not a generalist. Be the cardiologist, not the GP. Position yourself around a strength or career capital and then go a million miles deep. Do not go long and wide. Go deep and long. Um, that would be my advice. And the other thing is, for your listeners, and it's good that you call them out, Michael, and keeping them honest is this knowing doing gap. Like a lot of us know what we should be doing, but we don't do it. So this is why we need coaches and nutritionists and personal trainers and financial advisors and relationship counselors and um, you know uh, psychotherapists, all these sort of people that we need to help. It's not enough to know. You must do. You must take action. And that's how you're going to get ahead. So the, even if you do know this stuff, there is value and validation, but knowledge not used is useless. All right. So do not be the poor professor that I talk about in our training that has the leather elbow patches and the Pico and everything else, because that professor might have a lot of letters over the name, 
but they're more interested in the attainment of knowledge, not the application of knowledge. Okay. So knowing doing is a massive gap. So rant over. There's a value, (laughs) there's a value and validation too, right? So if this is making sense, then it knows it's another data point. Last point I will make as well, Michael, a a little model I use, and I'm using my little fingers here in terms of drawing a terrible diagram, is I call it the triangulation of truth. Now you have trig points where you, in GPS on your maps, to to know where you are. When you have a big decision to make, I want you to get three separate sources of data, and I call it the triangulation of truth, and I haven't trademarked that, it just sounds nice and phonetic and very Dr. (laughs) Deuce, right, Uh, for recall retrieval. Um, the triangulation truth is get three data points. So whatever you're searching for, find out three different people that are saying the same thing. So if I've said something in this podcast that reinforces that you've heard from Michael or his community or your peers or your network, and then you've had it reinforced by another person, maybe it's the um, career capital, maybe it's the specialist, not generalist. It's the truth. All right. It's the truth because you have, you've had three data points that reinforce that. So, that said, I specifically work in the rural and agricultural sector, but the psychology is applicable to any buyer's brain. So I have an ebook which Michael's going to very kindly uh, put the URL in the show notes and his team, and it's ruralsalessuccess.com. And you can download the ebook. You can get my weekly email. Yes, it's very aggified and rural, but there's a lot of psychology in it, particularly around sales and how you manage objections and how you manage uh territories how do you influence influencers uh the use of powerful questions psychology yourself all those lovely things i have a podcast too uh called rural sales show and if you want to connect with me just reach out to me on linkedin i don't think there's many sinjins in the world thank goodness um and uh, look up sinjin crater and i've got a linkedin uh profile which michael will kindly put in the show notes as well so reach out if you've got questions i love to help because i'm more of a serving guy than a selling guy so i hope hope that's been useful i love it wow holy cow we're gonna have to do it again sometime i appreciate you so much thank you so much for coming on and just sharing your heart out uh guys go back re-listen to this take some great notes and don't forget keep choreographing your business keep working hard we'll see you guys on the next episode take care Thanks for joining us today. Want more business choreography? Check out our website at bizchoreo.com to find out more. And find out how the choreography for your marketing operations and sales can raise your revenue and create more impact. Remember, every business needs choreography.